Okay, we ready? So, um, James uh, was mentioning something about the validity of the New Testament about three or four months ago, and I got to thinking, you know, validity, uh, meaning we have these books of the New Testament, uh, there are other books written back then, how come they aren't in the New Testament? What we have, we read and accept. How do we really know? I mean, what, what was the process that was used? It was vague to me. I, I had a cursory understanding of, uh, of what went on back in the first church, the, the first uh, few centuries, uh, but not really a, an understanding that would justify how important the New Testament is to our faith, how it guides us in uh, in our relationship with Jesus. So I started digging in. I collect history books and uh, uh, textbooks. And the books I have, uh, there are many that cover the, the canonization of the New Testament. So I started reading uh, uh, just volumes available. So I kind of start out saying this uh, in that in order to get like a morning summary service of kind of what I uncovered, uh, there is going to be lots of detail that are not in this discussion. But there is still an abundance of detail. And in searching this, the Lord guided me into what his point was in leading me to this in the first place, okay? So there was a point, not just to know, but there's a point to the validity of the New Testament. And so because of that, there is detail. I want to cover the detail, but I don't want to get stuck in the detail. Okay, I want to kind of breeze over the detail. There'll be a lot of talking and a lot of scripture. Um, uh, but I think what happens at the end is the aha moment. It's the it's the moment where we uh, say, oh, that's the point. That's the point of the validity of the New Testament. Okay? So in that, I have every single um, Bible verse that I'm going to be sharing. So if you want to take one, you don't have to write any of these down. Uh, not only is the verse, uh, why the verse is there, the actual verse in print, it's the actual translation I used, um, but it's all in order. So if you have something you want to write down that is uh, pertinent to you, you know, God speaking to you, that's great. But you don't have to jot down all of the, uh, all the uh, different uh, Bible verses. So, um, uh, so what do we have? Uh, New Testament's collection of uh, letters and correspondence. Uh, we're basically reading someone's mail. Uh, conditions that they wrote in, this is 2,000 years ago, so they didn't write on paper. Supplies ranged from vellum, which is made from animal skin, and papyrus, a plant. Uh, writing instruments ranged from metal, iron, bone dipped in ink, made from lamp black, which is uh, 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 
substance you get from burning oil or tar, and you, know, you sort of mix it in with water. Uh, and in general, they lacked any and every modern convenience that helps us with food, shelter, uh, clothing, healthcare, transportation, anything like that. So uh, early manuscripts are mainly Greek, and they do have some reference. This is slide three now. They do have some reference, uh, uh, Hebrew and Aramaic uh, text mixed in. The uh, New Testament books were written somewhere between the mid and latter part of the first century. And this was my first kind of, oh, oh moment. Well, wait a minute. Christ died in the earlier portion of the first century. Why are we waiting to the mid and uh, uh, more towards the late part of the first century to start writing? And uh, one article states it well, so I'm just going to read it. The first generation of Christians were not given to writing. There was not only no obvious reason why it should write, but there was a positive reason why they shouldn't write. The first generation of Christians lived in the daily expectation that Christ would return from heaven. They were waiting for Jesus coming back. They weren't anticipating uh, uh, generation after generation of people being taught and brought up in this. They had Jesus, and he was coming back. Men who imagined they might be at any moment be caught up to meet the Lord in the air were not likely to take steps for the instruction of the generations that might come after them. Uh, Matthew 24, 30 uh, kind of uh, instills this. Um, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man arrive in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Verse 36, but as for that day and hour, no one knows it, not even the angels in heaven except the Father alone. Verse 42 says, therefore stay alert because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Uh, James and Titus uh, also allude to the same type of anticipation and almost warning. So uh, slide four. So there are 27 books of the New Testament. Uh, 18 of the 27 books, uh, the author declares who's writing the letter. These are all of Paul's letters from Romans to Philemon, uh, Philemon, and First uh, and Second Peter, and James and Jude. The remaining nine books, while not declared, uh, the authors are likely known due to early church scholars identifying them in deductive research, and that's the Gospels, Acts, Hebrews, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So slide five. Content of all of these books ranges from good news of the Savior, rules of life to live by in the Gospels, to historical accounts in Luke and Acts, to correction and guidance in Paul's letters and the general epistles, uh, and the prophetic vi uh, vision in Revelations. So uh, slide six. So first, how did we get it? How was it used before it was collected as a single book? So the literacy rate uh, in the first church was probably an issue. Uh, according to one uh, Oxford research paper, um, there is no word for school in the ancient Hebrew. And according to author James Crenshaw, um, the uh, liter literacy rate of 
Israel in that day could be as low as 3%. So the next slide. Before the printing press, individual New Testament manuscripts, and we're calling each individual letter a manuscript, so I don't want to lose you in uh, verbiage. So when I refer to manuscript, what I'm talking about is something we've uh, cover, uh, uncovered, and it's something that they initially issued. So we're calling Paul's letter to the Romans, that's a manuscript. All right. Uh, these were likely read in uh, church and temple uh, rather than uh, individually. Uh, Colossians 4.16, uh, Paul instructs them, after you have read this letter, have it read to the church of Laodicea. In turn, read the letter from Laodicea as well. Next slide. In Acts uh, 5.42, uh, this is more reference to the temple. And every day in uh, the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach uh, and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. So uh, slide nine. So why were they copying the letters that would become the New Testament? Well, without modern press, there would be a demand for them. Individuals and groups relied on public reading of these letters, and the only way groups could get this information would be handwritten duplicates. Uh, as new converts and new churches sprang up, they would have need and perhaps dire need of solid guidance from these types of letters. And slide 10. So how were they collected and reproduced? The originals have not been found. Uh, the copies uh, would have been created over distance and time to a degree that reproductions are being reproduced in an unregulated fashion, meaning that there was no central oversight. And um, there's no central oversight over thousands of miles and hundreds and hundreds of years. So essentially, if you have duplications taking place by a mass of people who have never had contact with one another, uh, nor do they have common oversight, uh, then when earlier source manuscripts are identical to copies being made a thousand miles and a hundred years apart, it gives solid evidence as to what the original manuscript said. And the next slide is going to be a, a quite a... Uh, Illustration. This is a representation of what I just said uh, and my chance to use my pointer. Um, so each little box here uh, represents uh, an individual manuscript. And this is just a manuscript in general. This is not a depiction of an actual uh, um, uh, copying of a manuscript. This is just to give an illustration of my point on how scientifically you could not have any of these original, I mean, if you could not have any of these original manuscripts brought to you more reliably, other than have the author appear in front of you and just repeat what they wrote. Because even if the original appeared, you could still uh, uh, dispute its authenticity. Well, that's not the original. But in this fashion, you have the original letter right here, undiscovered. And then you have, say, uh, this is the church in Ephesus. Uh, and uh, they make five copies and send them out 
to their best friends, one going one way, one going another uh, in the uh, greater uh, Mediterranean Sea region. Uh, by the time they get excited and repeat their manuscripts to give to their friends, and these people over here in Israel are giving uh, out uh, manuscripts for their friends to read, and so on, and so on, and so on. And by the time you get up here, you have uh, perhaps 600 to 1,000 years of uh, travel this way, and about 3,000 miles travel this way. You've got a guy in Scotland having a copy that matches uh, a fella in Egypt. Does that make sense? So this makes uh, uh, collusion and misinformation statistically impossible if every single one of these copied and copied manuscripts say the exact same thing. Is that clear? I want to make sure I, I hit this home because this is a point. Sometimes I think we uh, people will say, oh, well, how do you know that that's the original? Well, this is a part where we really don't need faith. This could not have been done scientifically any better. We know what this original letter is. We, we have no doubt of that from all the manuscripts that were copied over all this vast region. It is overly reassuring, okay? So uh, let's go on to the next slide. So um, uh, Dr. Sean McDowell has a website. Uh, he's an apologist, a theologian, uh, and he has an estimate of the current number of manuscripts that we have of the New Testament. 23,986 uh, as of 2019. And how does this compare with other ancient books that no one has a, a problem uh, believing that, yep, that's, that's what the original text says. So uh, there are approximately uh, 1,000 times more manuscripts of the New Testament than discovered manuscripts of the average classical writer. Homer's Iliad uh, has more manuscript discoveries than any other classical work besides the New Testament. Uh, a recent count is still well under 2,000. All right, next slide. So as the church marched through the years approaching the fourth century, the gospel letters and books were being read, studied, and preached. By the mid uh, to late 4th century, the church had embraced the 27 books we now uh, call the New Testament. Uh, and they did so with certain criteria. The believers used Holy Spirit confirmation. They stressed the value of eyewitness narrative and it should be within the original um, apostle age, during the age of the original apostles. Slide 14. So why does this matter? If you think the proofing or validation process of the New Testament, meaning that criteria, that Holy Spirit confirmation and the stress of eyewitness narrative and all that, if you think that validation process of the New Testament happened long ago in a country far away, you're looking at this wrong. So next slide. There are uh, five truths I'll cover before discussing why it matters. 
So the first one is God uses his people. Second one, God and his power changes the believer from the inside out. Third, God has a message for us, and it's not only sacred, it is dynamic in power. Fourth, God uses both his Holy Spirit and his word for his purpose. And five, God is no respecter of persons. So in the next slide, first truth, God uses his people to do his work. He rarely does this himself. I kind of went through um, uh, the Old Testament. It looks like he created the universe without us. And I'm thinking um, Moses didn't have a, 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 a notepad and a pen up on Mount Sinai, so he chiseled in the New Testament or the uh, uh, Ten Commandments for him. Okay. Uh, next slide. So uh, we have... Uh, Adam naming the animals, Noah building the ark, Moses leading folks to freedom, uh, John 14, 12. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Slide 18. Philippians 2, 13. For God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Slide 19. Second, God and his power changes the believer from the inside out. The product God makes is from his power alone, not from outside sources. And next slide will be Romans 8, 29 to 30. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset, to shape lives of those who loved him along the same lives, lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself, and then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. Next slide. Same notion, same thought, various passages in Romans 12, 1 through 6. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. It is important that you do not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. Next slide. And Philippians 1.6, I am certain that God who begun began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. And 23, this is the third. God has a message for us. It is not only sacred, it is dynamic in power. This means it has the power to change and inspire. Next, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and we also especially thank God continually for this, that when you received the message of God, which you heard from us, 
you welcomed it not as the word of mere men, but as what it truly is, the word of God, which is effectively at work in you who believe, exercising its superhuman power in those who adhere to and trust in and rely on it. Next slide. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow. It is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. And next slide. Fourth truth, God uses both his Holy Spirit and his word for his purpose. So 1 Corinthians 2.10.13 God has revealed these to us by spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the things of man except the man's spirit within him? So too, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things that are freely given to us by God. John 10, 27, my sheep that are my own hear my voice and listen to me. I know them and they follow me. God is no respecter of persons. He looks at everyone who is a member of the body of Christ the same, whether it is 2,000 years ago or 200 years ago. Romans 2.11, for God shows no partiality, undue favor, or unfairness. With him, one man is not different from another. Next slide. You're on it. Deuteronomy 10.17, he is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. Okay, so 31. So if we agree on the following, God uses his people to do his work. God and his power changes us. God's message is sacred and dynamic. God uses the Holy Spirit for, uh, and word for his purpose. God uses, uh, and God is no respecter of persons. Next slide. Then the New Testament validation process, it never ends. It's continually being validated. Uh, I was under the impression that we were handed uh, these sets of books, and uh, it wasn't a matter of, of, of blindly accepting them, but, but you know, it was uh, understood that these were them and that's it. But, next slide. But we're the body of Christ, and the body of Christ, which started back then and validated the 27 books back then, uh, were the same body of Christ. And the body of Christ never died. It, it started then, and it's here now, and it will be the same body, will be in the future, with future generations. Uh, one Christ, one body. Uh, the body of Christ is simply the world's body of believers with Christ as its head. And next slide. And Christ has always been the head. So Ephesians 5.23, Christ is the head of the church, uh, the body of which he is the Savior. Next slide. 
the more ready we become as a body, the more profound the validation declaration. Revelations 19.7. Let us rejoice and shout for joy. Let us give him glory and honor for the marriage of the Lamb has come at last, and his bride, the redeemed, has prepared herself. So, next slide. So how do we as believers verify? There's always been the body of Christ. We've always been actively moving forward in uh, history. Uh, there are three ways that we did and do verify the New Testament. First is re read the word. The New Testament is like a parade float that starts Way back in the big, I don't know why, is this the beginning of time? I keep going over here. I, the parade float starts at the beginning of time and, and is going down the main street of Christian history. And the body, the one single body, is lined up. That's when Christ died, and that's when he returns. And, and as it's transitioning through time, the one single body is there reading it. And we read it, and we test it, we put it to action, and that verifies the New Testament. Next slide. So 1 Corinthians 2.10 and 13, but we know about these things because God has sent his spirit to tell us. And his spirit searches out and shows us all of God's deepest secrets. 13 in telling you about these gifts, we have even used the very words given to us by the Holy Spirit. Words not, not words that we as men might choose. So we use the Holy Spirit's words to explain the Holy Spirit's facts. So the second way we verify the New Testament, next slide, is by uh, testing our lives as we read the word and patiently wait as God works in us. God, through the word and his Holy Spirit, is completing a glorious work in his people. Blueprints are drawings that illustrate how something should be built, something that will uh, perform a function or carry weight. Okay? Now, if you have a blueprint of a bridge, you cannot test the bridge by the blueprint. You have to test the bridge after you build the bridge, uh, you know, you cannot test the blueprint until you build the bridge and test the bridge. So us, the body of Christ, as his product, uh, uh, needs to be tested. You can draw anything you want on paper, but if it's not tested, you don't know if it can hold weight. You don't know if that blueprint is any good, okay? The bridge is never tested. Neither is the blueprint. Think about that. If you're never tested, neither is that New Testament that you're reading. Next slide. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. 41. 
John 15, 1 through 27. I did not. I don't know what that should be. I, I put John 15, and then I have a 1 and a dash and a 27, but that is not 27 verses. Typo, sorry. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch who cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. Number 42. 2 Corinthians 3.2. You are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, recognized and read by everyone. And uh, next slide. Lastly, we can verify the New Testament by the work that has been done in others around us or throughout history. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, your Father who is in heaven. So we can look back. We can verify the blueprint, the New Testament. We can look back at the apostles. We can look back at the early church teachers. We can look back at Martin Luther, David Livingston, Stanley Albert Dale, Jonathan Goforth, D.L. Moody, Billy Graham, Bart Miller and Mercy Me, which will be shown here tonight, that will be a verification of the New Testament and the validity of the blueprint that it builds in everyone's life. You cannot look at these lives and deny the New Testament. So that pretty much is the end of what I had to share, but I wanted to make sure and be open to any questions that you might have since I really breezed through detail and I wanted the detail I brought out to match the ending theme and I didn't want to get lost in, uh, in the, uh, the, the depths of detail that didn't help the end message. But if there's something you're curious about, I spent almost three months of daily study going through all the different um, uh, uh, history of the canonization of the New Testament. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Sure. So uh, there is a chronological Bible, and most of what is in the Old Testament and New Testament is not chronological in order. And then you mentioned chapters. Was, was that a separate? That is an excellent question, and... I think what their thought was, at least as far as the New Testament, um, was that it was going to be a progression of the good news 
it, Paul's epistles or letters would likely not have as much impact if you did not understand that it was about Jesus. Um, like, uh, and as well, having the New uh, Testament follow the Old Testament, the New Testament doesn't have the same impact if you don't know why Jesus came and why he came to usurp that, um, that sacrificial process so that man can step into the holy of holies, right? If you don't, if you don't understand that process in the Old Testament, you don't get what the big deal is with Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate lamb. So that's kind of, I think their thought is going to be, we want the things to uh, make the greatest impact or set up the greatest impact to come first to educate you for what's next. Does that make sense, Carol? Okay. Of course. Yes, yes, there are there are many, many more. Um, let me see. I'm just going off of memory. Uh, oh, I'm not going to come up with the right number. Uh, uh, Dr. Uh, McDowell actually brought up the 2019 website because people kept quoting the wrong number of manuscripts. We are finding manuscripts one after another, and it's hard to keep up. And the tragedy also is that the um, uh, medium in which some of these earliest manuscripts are in a deteriorating form, so we've actually, although they've been copied and photographed and everything, they're actually just turning to dust. So yes, I believe there are plenty of discoveries, um, and uh, how, how do I want to say this? Uh, discoveries. Uh, these are people that eventually, in the sixth, uh, seventh, eighth century, they were keyed into how important these manuscripts were. They were uh, always being uh, marauders were always coming in, uh, you know, pillaging the land, uh, and um, these uh, monks and people dedicated their lives to the manuscripts and hiding them, and then ruins happened. And then it's buried beneath, and it's just a matter of time. I, I'm always seeing articles. I don't know how uh, Google uh, um, sort of learns my search habits. So every time I get on my, my Google search page, it's always about archaeological finds. And they find the, the most amazing discoveries right in the middle of the business of everyone else's city life. It's like, oh, it's right here, you know, like Main Street. They, they dig it up and... 30 feet below, it's like this amazing kingdom palace find uh, was the last one I was uh, reading. So, yeah, definitely more to come. Stay tuned. More to come. Any more? Thank you. 
Exactly. So you have to take the whole New Testament. So I think it's James 3 that says, oh, woe to <laughs> this is the verse I, I read before I start to teach. It's like, woe to those who want to be a teacher. And if you read the right verse, it says, you know you're going to do something wrong. You know, no one ever does it right all the time. Right, so there are there are plenty of scriptures that will say uh, his people will never be done perfecting. But that perfection is not what we're talking about. We're talking about um, lives. Going in a different direction. So opposed. If you don't have snot running down your nose after reading the first ten pages of Fox's Book of Martyrs. You gotta get your eyes checked. Holy moly. Look at what these people went through. Who does that? Who runs for the fire? Who does that? You are getting so changed. I was a this, but now I'm a bridge. You know, a, a, a bridge is, depending on what it's made of, it's, let's say it's a wooden one. And if we're to make a metaphor, then our lives, essentially these people that have gone before us, and you and me, our, our forests are just being chopped, and we're being limbed. But something's coming out of it. We're being built and built for a purpose. You have these lives where drug addicts and, 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 and horrible. Uh, Anton LaVey's daughter. Anton LaVey was the head of the Church of Satan. And she's the saved creature. What in the world? I, I can't even imagine what she went through as a child. And she proclaims Jesus Christ is Lord. What process, what building process does that New Testament and God's power do in someone that you're able to see? You can't deny that. Sure, you can see someone that, that does something for gain or for power, but that, this is the opposite. Who does that? People change by God. People like a metamorphosis, a complete undoing. You have a guy you're looking at was tortured by the medical community, and now I practice medicine. That's insane. Who does this? God says, do that, Mike. All right. 
Any other questions that will make me blubber? I'm willing to blubber. All right. Well, praise God. Um, hopefully uh, this was productive for everyone. I really wanted to equip you with uh, um, something more when you open your Bibles tomorrow morning. You know, you, you have a pro- that whole process that brought you that Bible is the process you will be going through when you read it. Amen. All right. Well, let me close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to to share your word and your spirit and your power. Lord, thank you for these people. I just pray that the uh, seed would find fertile ground. Lord, and everyone represented here would be uh, uh, have a blessed household and a blessed day in Jesus' name. Amen.